0: And then it's unique in its intent, the goal, the reason for which it is written. We've explained this to you somewhat last week, and we invite you to consider that. So firstly, when there's no mention of the author's name, as I said, and there's no mention of the recipients, except that it is written to Jewish believers, that's why the book is called Hebrews, it's written to the Hebrews, to the Jews. Those who, who came out of Judaism and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Amen. We said that the book is an essay. It starts as an essay in the beginning, and later on, the author takes a different approach to his writing when he begins to write about the various warnings, and at the end, Um, it's more of a almost as if he's pronouncing a blessing on the hearers of the book. So, he encourages the Jews. What is he encouraging them to do? Is to remain steadfast in their faith. And why do they have to remain steadfast? Because they have suffered much persecution and are about to suffer persecution again. So the book is now written to them, to strengthen them. And it's also to demonstrate to them what? The superiority and the supremacy of Christ over what? Over the house of Moses. Understand that by this time, for thousands of years, Jewish believers have assembled in the house of Moses. When we talk about the house of Moses, we talk about the tabernacle. We talk about the temple. This is called the house of Moses because everything in that house was according to the order that Moses has instructed them to believe and to function and to worship. Yeah. Moses was a faithful, faithful servant in his house, but the Lord Jesus, a faithful son in his house. Two different servant and a Sorry. son. Okay, So, then... Contrast begins this with Jesus in this passage is now contrasted with the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, specifically the Old Testament prophets. So today we're going to look take a closer look. And there's two time periods that's addressed here. In this passage that I've read that speaks of in time past and in these last days. This is some contrast. In times past, this is how God spoke in the prophets, in these last days, he is speaking in his son, and in this last day, he's speaking in sons. So, observing then that Jesus is a perfect spokesman for God, what is he? A perfect spokesman for God. So, in times past then, when we speak about the expression of time past, it refers to what? It refers to the period that precedes the incarnation of Jesus. When does it, what time is it addressed? The period that precedes the incarnation of Jesus. That's the demarcation that you can use. When we want to look at a demarcation for what the Bible calls in these last days, You talk it begins with the incarnation of Jesus or the function of the Messiah on earth. And everything that talks in, in the past, it speaks of from Genesis to Malachi and that 400 years beyond Malachi up to Matthew still with me. okay. All right. So then when the Bible speaks of the fathers, when in historically when the Bible refers to the fathers, he refers it refers to the patriarchal fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the three fathers that God used to constitute or construct the nation of Israel. Jacob being the father of the 12 tribes and out of these 12 tribes the nation of Israel came forth even though God made the promise to Abraham and then in Isaac it began to express with his two sons Jacob and Esau. Esau didn't come along for the program so he fell by the wayside. God then built through Jacob. Out of Jacob he built 12 sons. And out of these sons, he would take one son called Joseph and deposit him in Egypt meanwhile so that he can begin to prepare the place for when the nation comes there. Alright? So that they would be favorable because it was the intent of God to deposit Israel in Egypt for 400 years. Alright? So that they would be prepared. Because it's a symbolic thing that you also have to see. The 400 years that Israel was in Egypt is symbolic of people in the world being in the world trapped in hardship of slavery and sin. And then the deliverer Moses who is a type of Christ comes to deliver them out of that. Takes them through the the baptismal waters of of the Red Sea and take them into the wilderness for purification and testing, and then Joshua takes them across the Jordan, and then begins to constitute them as a nation at Gilgal, where circumcision takes place, reconstitution of the nation takes place, a reenactment of covenant takes place, and from there, they begin to take Jericho, the first city in Canaan, which they give to the Lord as a first fruit, and they begin their journey from there. That was a quick synoptic overview of hundreds of years. Okay. So when the Bible talks about the prophets in the Old Testament, it talks about Samuel in particular. Now you need to understand, when Samuel came on the scene, he took over from the judges. The judges were ruling for a time, and then Samuel, the first prophet, came his mother prayed for him believed God for a, a man child who would change the destiny of the nation and God gave us Samuel and then he was the first prophet after him others came like Elijah Isaiah you know and Ezekiel and Daniel and others who were significant prophets these were prophets that set the trend for the nation of Israel and also influence us for example Isaiah It's called the Messianic prophet. He was the one who gave us the clearest description of what Messiah would be like. And how he would function. And that tremendous passage in chapter 53, speaking of the suffering of Messiah. The Bible, when you read about this passage about Isaiah, you would see a remarkable thing. The Bible says the spirit of Christ entered him. And he prophesied about Christ even as he was Christ. Speaking at the time. This is the thing about the prophets and you would know this because when you speak about a prophet in the Hebrew it means one who boils over. And these individuals when they spoke, at times they didn't even understand themselves what they were saying. Can you imagine saying something but you don't know its meaning? Because you are saying something that is maybe not even in the... In understood in the context of the time frame that you live in, because you are pointing to a future generation or a future time of God's dealings. Some of them, of course, prophesied more practically and symbolically, and it was able to be interpreted more clearer. Okay. So this is what Peter says about them in Second Peter 1.21. He says, for no prophecy ever came by the will of man. But men spake from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. So these prophets that Peter is speaking of, he says, these they were speaking from God; God was speaking through them, and that they spake, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And at times the prophets themselves, as I said, were unaware of what they spoke. Peter explains this in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 onwards. He says concerning which salvation the prophets sought and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what time or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did point unto. This is a remarkable thing. Peter is saying these prophets are prophesying because the Spirit of Christ was already in them and they are pointing towards him. He says, It says, the spirit of Christ which was in them did point unto when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow them. To whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto you did they minister these things. Now this is incredible. He says these prophets didn't minister these things to themselves or to those that lived in their time frame but they were speaking concerning us those of us who are in Christ they were speaking about us they were speaking to us this is why this passage that I'm speaking about today which is important for you to understand it says that the father is speaking in the son now a person with an inquiring mind asks, what is the father saying in the son that he could not say in the prophets why was there a shift from speaking through the prophets to speaking in the Son. What was the Son able to say that the prophets couldn't say? One should ask that question because when you ask the question you will understand the answer. I believe that God would give us the answer through his spirit, amen? So he said he spoke at various times and different ways. What we need to understand is that the revelation of God did not come all at once. God built the revelation of himself through time. He would reveal aspects of his person at different times and in different generations. For example, Abraham did not know God as personally and intensely as Moses knew him. He spoke with Abraham by his voice and by leading him through situation and circumstance. But to Moses he spoke face to face. Even though Moses was a prophet, he did not speak to him in symbols and signs necessarily. He spoke with him face to face because God revealed an aspect of his person to Moses that he didn't reveal to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. So God revealed himself, we could say progressively. And by the way, this should help us understand in our own walk with God. As we pursue him, he says, if you're hungry and thirsty, you shall be filled. If you knock, it's going to be opened. If you seek, you're going to find. This God that we are called to serve wants to be pursued. He wants you to seek after him. He wants you to to devote yourself to him. In setting aside time for prayer, for meditation, for the reading of the scriptures, for developing an altar. If there is no altar in your life, there is no place for the speaking of God. Amen. You need to help me because I need to get out of the starting blocks so that I can let you go have your Mother's Day food. So what we have noticed here, is that God has clearly revealed himself as a God who speaks. Isn't that remarkable? There are thousands, perhaps millions of gods on the planet right now. That people have made for themselves from wood or some other um, substance and they Bow down before these gods. You know, you go into some of the people that live in the east. You go into their shops. They have a little shrine there, and they put a lovely red apple down there, a oh, beautiful banana. I call that apple there. <laughs> you know, they they feed this god, and then the, the this apple or this banana goes rotten, and they throw it in the bin, and they put another fresh one there because it's a part of the. And do you know when they do this? First thing in the morning. They practice first fruits to their idol. And when you inquire about these things, they are very defensive. But that God, that idol cannot speak. This is what the Bible says. It says it cannot speak. Now, it can mimic someone's voice through a demonic spirit, but itself cannot speak. Our God distinguishes himself as a God who speaks. Isn't it remarkable that God could have allowed, put, caused any part of his being to walk in the garden with Adam, but he caused his voice to walk. It's the voice of God walked in the garden to fellowship with Adam. I believe that the voice of God seeks to walk with each one of us daily and seek our fellowship. Amen. So when we are attentive, we will hear God speak. Now, I want to also clarify that. When I say you will hear God speak, not everybody will hear God speak audibly because not every person is intuitive in their auditory function or how some people know God intuitively, some people know God through dreams or visions. God speaks in the manner that you are wired. God knows how you're wired. He knows how to get through to you. Some of us, God can only speak with us when we sleep because we are so busy during the day, he's got to wait until you're out before he can speak to you. Either way, the important thing is to hear God speak. Amen? Do you agree with that? So in the last days, what does this expression mean? As I said earlier, last days. It literally means at the end of these days, because Peter explains this to us. A thousand years is as one day. And one day as a thousand years. Folks, understand this. God is eternal. God doesn't wear a Rolex. He's not confined to time and space. And even though God is eternal, he's traveling through time. And we are invited to make the journey with God in our generation. David knew what God was doing in his generation. And the Bible says that he served the purposes of God in his generation. Amen. So it's our obligation. It's our duty to know what God is doing in our generation. And then to collaborate with God. So the end of the days, as I said earlier, when the Bible speaks of the end of the days... It basically speaks then of the the period that began with the earthly ministry or the incarnation of Jesus. Micah speaks of this in Micah chapter 4 verse 1. He says, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established on top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. So Micah is speaking prophetically of the coming of Messiah when he will establish the house of the Lord upon all of the mountains. And we know what mountains, what mountains represent. Okay, they represent some form of governance in some sphere societally. He says the house of God will sit upon all of these mountains and it will be chief of all this. Isaiah also speaks of this, I think, in chapter 2 of Isaiah. Amen? So, the apostles then, when they tie this last days together, they speak of the last days as their days because they, they are the ones that transition from the house of Moses to the house of Christ. Amen. They are the instruments. The apostles are the instruments of transition from the Mosaic order to the house of Christ. They are the bridge that the Lord Jesus Christ built from the old to the new. It's perhaps the reason why he didn't go to the temple to look for 12 apostles. He went into the marketplace to find them. Amen. Because he would at first have first had to drain the blood of all the religious things out of the twelve. And it would take much longer than three and a half years. I know that having been in ministry for many years. How to give, it takes forever to give people a blood transfusion. Religion is a powerful thing. If you got it in as poison at the wrong time, it will continue to contend with God. So what does the Apostle say in Acts 2 verse 16 and 17, this is Peter speaking I believe on the day of Pentecost, but this is that which has been spoken through the prophet Joel. This is when the people say when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the people said these guys are drunk and and, and Peter says no. They are not drunk, as you suppose. This is what Joel prophesied about that God will pour out of his spirit upon all. Uh, and then the last days. He says, This is the last days Joel's prophesied of. So the last days began in the ministry of Christ and began technically in the constitution of the church, in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So there's the beginning of the last we are in the last day. These times I'm speaking of were the last days. Two days of passed since then. We are in the last day. You could also say we are in the seventh day since Adam or the third day since Christ. So God has spoken to us in his son. Some of your translation says by his son, but the proper Greek is in the son. So God has spoken to us, and you need to note the contrast. In times past, he spoke through prophets, but in the last day, it is in his son. So let me expand the passage I read before in Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read up to verse 6 this time. Can you do that with me? All right. It will help if you bring your Bible with you. Hebrews 1 verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's why I ended when I read earlier. Now come with me having become as much better than the angels, as he hath inherited a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again uh, brings... The firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. So when God spoke in his son, he set out to do much more than what he could accomplish through the Old Testament prophets. Is that right? There was a reason why he was now speaking in the son. And I want you to understand this. Religion has taught us that the main reason why Jesus came into the earth was to die at Calvary. Is that right? John 3.16 they tell us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's not the main reason why Jesus came. That's a part of the reason why he came, but it's an incomplete gospel. Amen. Jesus didn't just come to die. If that was the main reason for his coming, they should have they could have crucified him when he was in his teens. Is it right? Or early adulthood? But he came to do more than that. So we need to understand if the father is speaking in the son, what is the father saying in the son that he couldn't say through the prophets? The son was able to speak about things of the father that he was qualified to reveal because of his relationship intimacy and fellowship with the father he was able to bring the father out of obscurity and into the visibility of the generation that was alive in his day he was able to build an infrastructure in the hearts and minds of people that they could know god even after his ascension he built into his disciples a revelation of the father because they kept on asking him Show us the Father. Show us the Father. Because they were so intrigued by the Father. Because he kept on talking about the Father. And then he would say to Thomas. Thomas, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. He came to reveal the Father. To? Can I say uncover him as it were because the prophets were speaking to him in, in symbols, in signs, in, in language, historical and futuristic aspects about his person, his agenda, his goals and now here is the incarnation of God. The Lord Jesus Christ himself walking on the earth. He said if you see me seen him. Later he would say to Thomas touch my hands and my feet, see it as I. Amen. He would go back to Peter and after his resurrection and strengthen him because he had a belief that Peter could lead the work in his absence. Jesus also revealed to us that that which is temporal can be built through an earthly priesthood. But that which is eternal is built through the spirit of sonship. Let me say that again. That which is temporal could be built by a priesthood, an earthly priesthood, but that which is eternal can only be built in and through a son. He was also showing us that the house of Christ is superior to the house of Moses. Amen? Well, I'm on that point. I constantly, I don't know, not so much now, but in the past, and perhaps you come across this way. Christian says, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Have you heard that? Now, let me put this to you straight. None of you have ever been under the law. What you've been under was sin. Jesus didn't come to save you from the law. Because you are not a Jew, you are not practicing the law. What he came to save us from was sin, from hell, from damnation, from sickness, disease, and poverty, and lack and depravity. So don't bring that in the conversation. Amen? Amen? Everything Jesus did on earth. He did exactly as he did when he was at his father's right hand in heaven. Before he came to earth, that's what his seat. So he did everything as a son to a father. You would never see him misrepresent the father in anything he did. Do you agree? And that is the lifestyle that you and I have been called into. And which we have to be transformed into. As we follow Christ, we must learn how to obey his ways. He never set out to please himself. This whole plan of salvation, including just how he should live and how he should produce fruit unto God, Always under the guidance and the instruction of another in daily submission to his father not once not once did jesus embark on his own agenda would you agree not once not once would he say to the father excuse me there's some things that i want to do I need a break from your calling. I'm going to go on a journey of some kind of my own and I'm just going to do some stuff for a couple of months. I'll be back later on. No, he was healed. He was committed. He was dedicated to fulfill the father's agenda. Amen. All of the joys... His pain and his work, all of his sorrow and his triumph, his whole purpose for being was wrapped up in his identity as a man who lived at all times as a son to a father. You see, no prophet, no, not even the great ones like Samuel or Elijah or, or, or even Moses could do this in some way they could follow instructions in some way they could follow rituals in some way they could institute religious systems and lead people but they didn't have the innate capacity to live the way that Jesus lived this is why the father had to speak in a son now if we reject this model we would have rejected the whole purpose for our salvation. Because the father is speaking in this generation in a son. First he spoke in the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he's speaking in a son, those who are in Christ. Got to make that distinction. And though Jesus is our brother, he is the head of this family. Amen. None of us can consider ourselves equal with Jesus. That will be pride and arrogance and it's just before your fall. He's the head of this household. And all of us have been called into Christ. Just like all of those people and all of those animals were called into the ark. Just like the nation of Israel was called into a place in Egypt where they were kept safe and secure in the midst of the judgments of the Lord on the nation of Egypt. Amen? Christ is that ark for us. That's why in Hebrews 2.10, it says, this salvation is to do what? In bringing many sons to glory. Folks, are we still on this journey? I need to seek to encourage you today and then seek to inspire you today that it's a journey. Amen? And what is the journey about? The journey is about the Lord Jesus Christ bringing you to glory. Amen? And that's not about the day when you die it's about the journey that you're on right now bringing you or me to glory has to do with a greater representation of who God is in how we live amen how we live now That he may become visible, tangible through the way we live. People are not influenced by our teachings as much as they are influenced by our lifestyle. Let men see your works Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Ryan, we have a terrible responsibility. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, you are open letters read by everybody everywhere. That's long before social media. Now people put their whole life on social media. You know, they cough, they put it there. Open letter. Listen. Listen. You're an open letter and you are read by people who don't even want to read your life. Everybody somewhere has an opinion about you and they formed it by observing your life. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? So we have this awesome responsibility of coming on this journey and allowing God by his grace to transform us the bible says from glory to glory from one height to another in Christ Jesus the Lord amen so it's a journey friends it's a journey it's a journey I'm tempted to say this Mr. Bean says it's a race long before him the Apostle Paul said it's a race. Amen. And here's the terrible thing there is no reward for those who quit the race. You don't get a reward for signing up. You get a reward for finishing the race. Amen. That's why this book of Hebrews is going to teach you how to run the race and how to finish the race. Folks, my encouragement to you is to understand that your salvation is something that you have to outwork. This is the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This book of Hebrews will also teach you it's possible to lose your salvation. Terrible thought, is it? This book will also teach you, as I said to you in the book of James, you have to practice your faith. Christianity is a faith, and it must be practiced. Without works, faith dies eventually. Amen? So if you don't practice your religion, I use the word religion loosely, you know, if you don't practice your faith by meeting with God in prayer and praise and worshiping, studying the scriptures and being with the brethren and fellowshipping and growing in grace, then the initial faith you you had in God is dying and will eventually die completely. And then you will be just like the world. Is that a daunting thought? Then the sad thing is we can still be here physically and not be here spiritually. All right, let, let me race down this path. I want to get done in time. I want to talk about seven things now about the excellence of God's perfect spokesman talking about the Lord Jesus Christ the father is speaking in the son so firstly Jesus is appointed heir of all things he's not just the spokesman he does not just represent the father like an ambassador an ambassador represents his nation but he doesn't own the nation he just speaks for it but the Lord Jesus Christ is not just the spokesman also the heir isn't that incredible he is the heir of all things it says and i think when 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 um, this was written in the book of hebrews he must have thought of psalm chapter 2 where the bible says in verse 7 he says uh, i will tell of the decree jehovah said unto me thou art my son this day i have begotten thee Ask of me and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So this son, the beloved son, is the appointed heir of everything that the father has. Now, what does that include? We have to ask question should really be asked what does it not include because the Bible says everything the father did not exclude anything from the son because the son is the father's beloved son in whom he is well pleased amen so what does it say in John sixteen fifteen? all things Whatsoever that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he taketh of mine and shall declare it unto you. Jesus is speaking of the work Holy Spirit will do. He says everything that my Father owns belongs to me. Now the Father will take of that which belongs to me and reveal to you. Why? Why? Because you now belong to him. And this God, there's not one grain of selfishness in this God. He wants to share with all of us what belongs to him. Amen. That's why Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. But then he has made you a joint heir. Because he cannot bring himself to take everything for himself. So he stretches his arms as wide as he can and bring every one of his sons into this relationship. And he says, join me in my heirship. That you too may have a part of what the Father has given me. Amen. Amen. That's why folks, there is no room in this family for depravity, for lack, for poverty, and all of those things. Those things do not belong in the household of God. And if we're struggling with them, you need to understand these are demonic spirits following you into the house of God that you need to break off from your life. Amen. You've got to rise up in zeal, in faith, In anger and speak against these things and break them off from your life and trust God to raise you up to live in this earth as his son amen I'm not saying these things to you theoretically I've come through this journey I know what it's like to confront lack need and poverty and tell it to go to hell I know what it's like to take these two hands and lay hold of my inheritance in Christ and and bring it into my life. I know what it's like to spend nights in prayer and lay hold of my inheritance in God. David says, I will give my eyelids no sleep until that, which is mine, manifest in my life. Amen. Come on, folks. Come on, come on. What else belongs to Jesus? Not all that the Father has. The authority to raise the dead. He says in John 5, For as the Father hath life in himself, even so gave he to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is a a son of man. Marvel not at this. For the hour cometh in which all that are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of judgment. So have this happened already? Yes. The dead was already raised. They speak here of a day that would happen in his own lifetime. When the father raised him from the dead, he raised all of the Old Testament saints out of the grave as well. They walked around in Jerusalem for 40 days. Can you imagine for 40 days, people that were dead, they must be very hungry. 40 days they haven't eaten a meal in 40 I mean in in years. All of those cafes, the spaza shops opened overnight selling food to all of those people trying to get them filled. And then on the day of Ascension, the Bible says he led captivity captive in his train. And he gave gifts unto men as he went up, took the Old Testament saints with him from Adam right up to the last one who were in, uh, in faith and in, uh, in, in relationship with God. And then he took his mantle and tore it into five pieces and dropped it to the earth as he went to be with the Father. And he gave us five administrations of the Spirit. Guys, we are not being sold a hollow story, a well-crafted story. This is our faith journey. Amen? What else did the Father give him? The authority to rule in heaven and earth. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and he spake unto them saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. This authority is now. It's not something that will just be in the future. Acts 2.36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you've crucified. This is something that most people in church don't understand. What was being said here is that you crucified Jesus. But God raised him from the dead and made him Lord and Christ. Amen. This is why many of his disciples didn't even recognize him after his resurrection. He was already where? In his pre-incarnate state. Full of glory. Raised up from the tomb. Amen. Folks, we are not serving a dead Jesus. We are serving one who is at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Ephesians 1 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and to put all things In subjection under his feet and gave him to be head over all things that to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all rule authority power dominion a name and I like the Amplified Bible says God gave him a name above every other name or title that could even be conferred in the future It's like God made sure that if anybody comes up with any foolish title, it will not be above that which he has given to Jesus. Like if you get a charismatic pope or somebody like that, somebody anoints himself with some kind of title, which is a lot of foolishness going on in the world today. You know, here in Cape Town, there's no scarcity of that. then he is not just heir. This is the incredible thing. The father just didn't make him an heir. But in the beginning when God said, let us make man. Who was he speaking with? He's speaking with the son, with the spirit, with the 24 elders, with the seven spirits in, in his throne. He was speaking with the cherubim. The sher- he was speaking to the community around his throne. Amen. But when God created He created through his son. So Jesus did not inherit something that he didn't create himself. The father created through him. It's clear in the scriptures. He's not only the heir, but he's the creator. It says clearly, for all things were created by him and through him. And nothing exists that was not created by him. So he, the father, when the father said, let there be, it was the word. He called his son the word. Is it right? The father who speaks, who loves words, calls his son the word. Because all of the words the father has in his heart, the son will speak. So here you see, not only did he inherit these things, but initially he created them. You see, this is the apostolicity of God. Do you understand this? When I speak of the apostolicity of God, I speak of the fact that God never vacates his throne, but always whatever he sets out to do, he will do through a person, a created thing or being. So he created through the sun, everything that he set out to do. So the sun is not just the air, Is also the creator. Amen? Jesus is what? He's also the brightness of the Father's glory. It says in John 1.14, We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Even though God has called us to manifest his glory and to reveal his nature and personality and identity, how Jesus did it, And how I'm doing it, I think my comparison by God's grace is minuscule to what Jesus has done. He is the son. Amen. I am a son growing in grace, seeking to reveal the father in my generation. And I would never dare put myself next to the Lord Jesus Christ myself because that is a faulty perception of self. Amen. He's the express image of the father. Colossians 2 9. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, the father, the spirit, dwells in its fullness in the son. This is incredible. It dwells in him. Therefore, Jesus could say to Thomas, If you have known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and you've seen him. Isn't that incredible? That he could say, If you've seen me, you've seen my father. To Philip, he would say, He who has seen me has seen the father. This is John 14, verse 9. Now, he's not just the heir of all things, he didn't just create all things, but he also sustains all things. The Bible says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Folks, we're talking about the distinction why the father is speaking in his son and not in a prophet right now. what needs to be accomplished here could not possibly be accomplished through a prophet the son had to do this Hebrews 1 3 the latter part and upholding all things by the word of his power this is incredible he created he inherited he sustains all things he holds it all together by the word of his power. Can you imagine that? All of the stars, all of the planetary systems, all of the galactic systems, the scientist calls it what? Black matter, is it right? They don't know what holds the galaxy together. I know the word of his power holds it together. So he holds all of this together because the father has appointed for a certain time for these things to culminate in the fullness of his purpose and plan. The Bible also says that in Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. He's before all things. Existed in the Father long before time existed. Jesus also by himself purged our sins. So he's our redeemer. None of the prophets in the Old Testament or the priests, the Levitical order of Aaron, all of them, they had to first make sacrifice for their own sins and then for the people. But the book of hebrews tells us jesus christ having made sacrifice for our sins once and for all sat down at the right hand of his excellency in the heavens once for all isn't it the wonderful thing that we didn't have to bring any of those goats in here this morning you know all of us come because Some of us just bring a turtle dove. For, you know, it's also called according to affordability. You know, we all had to come and slaughter our animals for our sins, but no, Jesus did that once and for all, and now His blood continues to purge and sanctify the people for God. That is why the Bible says, "Confess your sins one to another, that you may be whole." The Lord. Then the seventh point is He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, Ephesians 1 20, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and made Him to sit at His right hand in heavenly places. Why right hand? Why not left? Right hand is the place of power, of executive authority of dominion, of, of, of strength, of might. The father had him sit there. And then he said something to him. The father leaned over to the son. He said, sit at my right hand. until I make all of your enemies to come under your footstool. Your ottoman. Come under your footstool. Amen. The father has an agenda. All of his enemies to come under his footstool. That's going to be a glorious day. Some of those enemies are chopping off. Some are stubborn and persistent and hard and arrogant. But their days are numbered. The Bible says in First Peter three twenty-two, "Who is the one? Uh, who is one? The right hand of God, having gone into heaven." Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Amen? So sitting at the right hand of God is the place of honor. But for Jesus is also a place from which he reigns. He's not just sitting there sipping cappuccinos. He's there exercising authority, dominion and power because he is already the king of kings. Some people in their eschatology, that's the study of the end times, cast Jesus as a king that will be in the future. But the scriptures teach me that he is the king already, the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. So, what is he doing right now? said so he's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool there's Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 but he speaking of Jesus when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God henceforth expecting till his enemies be made the footstool of his feet folks if Jesus is the head of the body and we are the body, where is the feet? The feet is in the body, is it right? Unless you're a little bit <laughs> mixed up. It's the work of the feet to trample on the enemies of God. Amen. That's why the Bible says this is the inheritance of the saints of God to administer the judgments of God. Do you know what happened in this country yesterday? Most of you don't know that. Yesterday was a day in which our government called all of the ancestral leaders and the peoples who practice the worship of the ancestors to call upon the ancestors for this nation. That's why we were under our duets. Says so the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ We have a responsibility to declare what? Jesus is Lord. No weapon formed against the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the agenda of God so prosper in this land or in this city. We declare the headship of Jesus over the church and over the nation and over the city. We declare that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ testifies against every demonic principality and power and that the church eventually rises up in dominion, authority, and power to stamp under its feet everything that opposes Christ and his kingdom. So he will reign until that time. He says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-five: for he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to abolish is death. It says in Psalm 110 verse 1, Jehovah said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jehovah will send forth the rod of thy strength out of Zion. From where does the rod of strength come forth? From Zion what is zion zion is the perfected church amen out of zion rule thou in the midst of thine enemies amen it's like psalm 23 he sets a table before me in the midst of mine enemies he makes my head fat with oil amen you need that anointing of the lord to be able to sit at the table in the midst of your enemies. It doesn't say you sit with your enemies at the table. The Bible advises you not to do that. They might put poison in your food. It says you sit there in the midst of them. They, they are aware of this. They see how God is working in you, working through you, raising you up, establishing you, blessing you. And they have a problem with it. They speak under their breath they are angry with God's blessing upon your life. But what can they do about it? Very little. Of course, they speak out against it as though they have authority over you. I conclude with this last few statements. He is the true ruler of the earth. In this last year or so, as we've lived in the midst of a pandemic that's upon the earth and in the world we have perhaps thought where is God in all of this why doesn't God speak why doesn't he let thunder come from his throne why doesn't God judge these people who are working behind the scenes trying to cull millions of people these eugenists who have set Their agenda to reduce the population of the earth by one third. Why doesn't God judge them? Because He's waiting on His saints to do it. The Bible says God will do nothing unless someone asks Him to do it. Amen. We have that responsibility to speak for God in the earth words are spirits. They're able to change the atmosphere. So John sees in his records in Revelation chapter 1, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits that are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Who is he? The ruler of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loveth us. And loosed us from our sins by his blood. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that includes the prime ministers and the presidents. That we now have out of in our democracies. He is the king. The one, he's the final authority. Amen. I'll give you another verse of scripture Revelation 17, 14. These shall war against the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and they also shall overcome that are with him, called the chosen and the faithful. So there you have it. Not only will the Lord overcome, but we who are with him, who is called the faithful, will overcome with him. Amen. Bless the Lord. So in the beginning in Hebrews 1, the end of the third verse, the verse I didn't read the whole verse. It continues in verse 4 with a declaration that Jesus is superior to angels. That we're going to continue with next week. But what have we seen in this teaching today? God is clearly a God who speaks and he makes his his will known to mankind and he now speaks to us in a son. The son here, the primary son, the Lord Jesus Christ who has appointed the heir of all things is the Creator the sustainer, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and he is the one who is king of all kings and lord of all lords. And for us, what does he say to us? When he left, before he departed, he met with his apostles. He said to them in Matthew 28, And Jesus said, came to them and said and spake unto them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." cosmos amen so authority is given unto him he's now given it to his followers gave them a mandate to go into the world and make disciples and that says i'm going to be with you until this world ends amen or until this world system collapses So you have this commitment from the Lord and you see in the scriptures clearly that he's committed to walk with us. So brethren, he's spoken with us in a son. Because only a son can carry the mandate forward. And today, it's the desire of the Lord Jesus to bring many sons to glory. To bring us to glory, not just to taste salvation, but to bring us to glory, to reveal the Father in this world. For this we need the grace of God, amen? We need the grace of God and I want to encourage you to seek the grace of God. have a mandate, you have a responsibility, you have a tremendous privilege and honor that you are called into. and that is to show the world what your father is like. There are many hurdles to climb over. There are many challenges that we face. There are many obstacles the enemy puts in our way. We have the responsibility to seek the grace of God. To manage those situations. And in the midst of that. To give face to God. In a world that is lost, perverted, confused, selfish egotistical, carnal-minded, and very, very, very obsessed with material things. Let's pray. Eternal God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto you be praise and glory in the heavens of the heavens, even in the heavens, my God, upon earth, in the world, in your church, and in your kingdom. We bless your holy name. And we pray today, Lord, as we have the honor to hear your word and administer your word amongst the brethren here that the seed of the word oh God by your spirit would find a deep root in our hearts and that a tender plant will grow up become a tree of righteousness that indeed we as your sons may progressively reveal more of your person in this world so that your name in all of this may be glorified now Lord I ask that you put a greater dimension of grace upon those that are humble, those who are meek those who are seeking your grace, cause your person your presence, your power to rest upon us so that we may indeed bless your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.